no matter your situation, whether you're already wealthy, right? Or you're living paycheck to paycheck, a little bit of education with motivation, discipline is gonna take you a long, long way, right? Because it's not really what we learn that makes a difference in our lives. It's what we do with what we learn. Welcome to the Quiet Wealth Podcast, where we talk about money mindset, how not to be broke, simple step-by-step strategies to conquer your finances, and the entrepreneurial spirit that will get you there. Your host, Camilla Jeffs, has been a student of money for over 20 years. She started out broke and has built real wealth for her family through steps you can copy. Camilla is on a mission to help thousands of people just like you build true financial stability. Well, hey there. Welcome back to the Quiet Wealth Podcast. I am excited. This whole month of October, we are talking about mindset. And mindset is crucial in order to build wealth, to leave a legacy for your family, and to get to where you want to go in life. And so today, I have a long episode because we're going to dive deep into five ways the wealthy think differently. And we're going to talk about how you can think differently as well in order to achieve the wealth that you're looking for. So first, I want to start out with a story. And I love horses, and my mom loves horses even more. And she took us to the Kentucky Derby one year, and it was so fun. And we got to dress up, and we made our hats. We thought we made like extravagant hats. No, we weren't weren't even close. So if any of you have been to the Kentucky Derby, it is quite the experience to walk around and see the hats there to see the people dressed up and everybody's just having a great time. Well, I want to tell you about a Kentucky Derby winner. And this winner is so appropriate for my podcast. My podcast is called Quiet Wealth. And this Kentucky Derby winner's name is Real Quiet. And Real Quiet was born in March of 1995 in Kentucky. But he was born with very skinny and crooked legs. So Real Quiet had to have surgery right after he was born to straighten his legs, and they were hoping he would just be able to walk. Can you imagine like the breeders in Kentucky? They are they are trying really hard to produce Derby winners, right? And so they get this this colt that's born and he has crooked legs. So give him surgery. Later on at the sale in Kentucky, so there's a very famous sale in September called the Keeneland Sale. All the promising colts are brought are you know brought out and paraded around, and then they are purchased for hundreds of thousands of dollars or even millions within the first few hours. Now, real quiet, he wasn't bought until the fifth and final day, and he was bought for seventeen thousand dollars. That is mere pennies for a racehorse. In 1997, when he's two, right, real quiet began racing. And he was able to do well enough to actually make it to the Kentucky Derby because he won two races. So he made it to the Kentucky Derby in 1998. That was the year I graduated high school. So 98ers, yes. He, so to Kentucky Derby, 98. But here's the thing. No one cared about him. Nobody photographed him. He was the long shot to win or even place anywhere other than last place. 
he was overshadowed by other horses and and just nobody thought he would amount to anything. Now, when the gates opened, Real Quiet raced his heart out. And this that $17,000 horse beat out the million dollar babies for the red roses and a spot in history. Two weeks later, at the Preakness, he won again. And that set him up to be a triple crown winner, right? And in the history of the triple crown, only a few horses have won all three of those races. So the final race of the triple crown, which is the Belmont, he lost by mere inches, right? He came within a nostril of a perfectly unbelievable Hollywood ending. Now, it's real quiet. He was never supposed to amount to much, right? Had he been a human, he probably would have like sabotaged himself. You know, he'd be there comparing himself like, oh, well, that horse has much bigger muscles than I do. And oh, that one runs faster. Oh, he gets to eat better oats than I do. Or oh, his trainer is cuter than my trainer. I mean, all sorts of things that could happen in a human brain, right? But he's not. He's a horse. He succeeded because he was just a horse with an incredible heart. He only knew how to stare down a track, race with all his heart, and listen to that encouraging jockey on his back. He knows that win or lose, right? He has a really great staff of people who are really take care of him. They're going to give him a rub down when he's done and a bath. They're going to feed him his favorite oats and he's going to be happy, right? One track mind, he can do it. Now, does it matter where you start in life? Oh, absolutely. It matters, right? Some of us get a head start in life and some of us are like real quiet and we're born with skinny crooked legs and need surgery to even walk. But what matters even more is where you finish, right? And you need people to encourage you and help you along the way, just like Real Quiet did. And so I want to invite you to allow me to be one of those people. One of my favorite things to do is cheer for others in their journey of life. And I'm here for you, right? I've got you. I'm here for you. I'm cheering for you all the way. I don't care if you were born with skinny crooked legs and you've had a bunch of surgeries. I don't care if you were born with nothing. You can still get to being wealthy. You can still win the race. And that's what we're here, right? But because you are human, you're going to have to conquer a lot more in your mind than Real Quiet did because the mind is what humans have to battle. Horses, they just have to battle their muscles, right? And they have to work hard to get to that race. Humans, we got minds that will sabotage ourselves. And so we have to really work on this. So we're going to dive into here the five ways the wealthy think differently and how you have the power to change your thinking. I've said it before on this podcast, but if you don't commit to being wealthy and believe you can, you're not going to have a chance of getting there. So belief is huge, right? And one of the reasons I started this podcast is because I have a powerful belief in you. I believe that you possess the abilities, the intelligence to have the kind of life you feel like you deserve, right? I believe you know that money is important and you need to learn more about it, accumulating it and protecting it. 
I believe you know it takes more than a single burst of enthusiasm to improve yourself. And you have to develop new skills. It's going to take education, commitment. It's going to take discipline, all of those things to get there. You can't just be like, okay, Camilla, you said I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it this week. And then the next week you piddle out. It takes much more than that, right? And then I also believe no matter your situation, whether you're already wealthy, right? Or you're living paycheck to paycheck, a little bit of education with motivation, discipline is going to take you a long, long way, right? Because it's not really what we learn that makes a difference in our lives. It's what we do with what we learn. It's not the size of your income that's going to determine your financial success. It's how you handle the money you earn. So let's dive into those five ways the wealthy think differently. And after those, I'm going to share with you a secret strategy that wealthy people use. And you're going to want to stick around for that. Okay, number one is mastering the power of money and not being afraid of it. Sometimes money makes us crazy and freaks us out, right? I know that you know, my 20 year old daughter is coming into her own and starting to be an adult. And sometimes she gets freaked out by money because she's still trying to understand it. She's just trying to understand how it comes in and how it goes out and how it out and how it flows, right? Because now she's on her own, has to pay for her own school, has to pay for her own housing, has to pay for her own food, and has to figure out all of those things. But here's the thing. The sooner you forget about needing a paycheck, the easier your life is going to be. Because if you think about a job, a job is actually a short-term solution to a long-term problem. What's the problem? Well, I need money, right? Getting a job gives you money right then, right then, right? But the long-term problem is you need money for the rest of your life. You need to be able to figure out a way to have money coming in for the rest of your life. So the job only gives you money at that moment in time, investing gives you money for the rest of time, okay? So we're mastering this power of money. You can't be afraid of it. Wealthy people are not afraid of money. They know a little about a lot. You don't have to be an expert in one thing. You can learn from people who are experts in one thing, but in, but in order to like accumulate wealth and, and think differently about this, you need to know a little about a lot, right? You need to know a little bit about taxes. You need to know a little bit about budgeting. You need to know a little bit about managing your money. You need to know a little bit about asset accumulation. You need to know a little bit about protecting your wealth. All these things you need to know a little bit about. And then you hire experts that help you to know that know a lot about these topics, okay? And then finally, with this concept of don't being afraid of money. Just seek to learn more than you earn. So the idea here is if you are going to go out and get a job, great, get a job, but choose a job that's going to help you learn a lot about being wealthy. For example, if you're going to start a business, which I think everybody should, 
have their own business. Whether you start it from scratch or you buy it, you buy someone else's business or you just have a family business that, you, that you're doing, whatever your business, it doesn't have to be huge. Don't get freaked out when I say start a business. It's not like I'm asking you to start Amazon, okay? You're gonna have your own small business. If you're getting a job though and your end goal is to have this small business, what are some of the jobs that you could go get that would help you in your business? For me, I regret not working in a marketing job because a marketing job is really one that I have to do marketing in my business all the time. I have to figure out how to do TikTok. I have to do social media marketing. I have to figure out how to market my podcast so more people can, I can get the word out and more people can learn from it. I have to figure out how to write really good sales copy. I'm all these things, right? So I, I, I regret not taking either more classes during my MBA in marketing or getting a job, actual job in marketing. Same goes for finance, right? We all need to know about finance, about how to run a business and how finances and businesses work. You don't need to know everything. You can hire an accountant. You can hire a bookkeeper, which is what I do. But you need to know a little bit about that. And so if you get jobs, just think about what jobs are going to set you up for success in the future. And and I'm not talking about setting you up to become the CEO of you know a giant corporation, I'm talking about setting you up to become the CEO of your own business so that you can step out and you can be an owner investor instead of having to work in that business for the rest of your life. So that's number one. The wealthy are not afraid of money. They're not afraid of it. They just see it as a tool. It's, it's, a, it's a neutral object, okay? It's nothing to get emotional about and that's how the wealthy think differently. All right, second one. The wealthy are not worried about playing it safe, okay? So thinking about money, it's a tool and money ebbs and flows. Comes into your life, goes out of your life, right? The dollar comes in, the dollar goes out. Uh, The goal though is as the dollar comes in and then as you deploy it out, it's gonna bring you back more dollars, right? It's gonna go grab more dollar friends and then bring them back to you instead of just, leaving and being gone forever, right? So that's the goal here. So often um, people who are not wealthy, they'll, they will play it safe and they'll really try to avoid risk. Managing risk is important, but you don't want to avoid risk. If you avoid risk, if you don't take any risks, you're never going to get there. So mutual funds are very popular and I fell into this too. Like it was really popular because they supposedly represent safety. So the average mutual fund buyer, they're too busy working because they have to pay their taxes and their mortgages and they have to save for their kids' college, they have to pay off their credit cards and pay off their debt, right? They are too busy to study investing. So instead, they rely on the expertise of a mutual fund manager. And my husband and I did this in the beginning, right? In our 20s and 30s, we were so busy. We were busy working. We were, and you know, and I was studying investing on the side, of course, and doing some of my own investing and dabbling things. But I kept like hearing the mainstream people saying, "No, oh, you got to invest in the stock market. You got to do your IRAs. You got to have your four hundred one ks. You right, like like that's what everybody talks about, and that's what you got to do." Well, here's the problem. That meant I was too busy working so I could pay my taxes and mortgages, save for the kids' college. I mean, all those things, right? And so we 
just relied on the expertise of a mutual fund manager, right? And we felt like it was safe because it, I'm air quoting, diversified. And the only way though that it's diversified is it's still in the stock market. It's not a different investment. It's just investing in different types of companies. And if you would have asked 30-year-old Camilla, hey, which companies is your mutual fund invested in? I have no clue. No clue. I have no idea. I'm like, well, we have a large one and we have a foreign fund that we invest in. No, literally no idea what company we're invested in. So actually, I don't know if it's even a good company. I don't know if it's a company that takes care of its employees. I don't know if it's a company that creates the impact that I want to create. I just invested in a mutual fund. So that's what number two is about, right? So the wealthy think differently about risk. They want risk. They want to take on risk. Do you have to take on a ton of risk? No, you don't. And I'm going to teach you ways and strategies that you can take on a medium amount of risk that's going to be really great reward for you. So that's number two. Okay, let's move on to number three. This one says, it's not how much money you make, it's how much you keep. So the way we think about money is not about income. I'm not trying to create a ton of income, but I am trying to keep as much of that income as possible. When I was learning about you know, financial management, there was a number that kept being thrown out, 15%, right? If you save 15% of your income and invest it, you're gonna invest 15%, then by the time you're 65 and retired, you're gonna have a couple million dollars if you did, if you save 15% and invested it in the stock market. Now that plan works if you're 20. It does not work if you're 40. I'm in my 40s now. I don't have the time. I don't have enough runway in the stock market in order to make millions of dollars in the stock market by simply investing 15% of my income. I want to challenge you here. I want to challenge you to invest 50%, five zero, right? Not one five, five zero percent of your income. Is that going to make you uncomfortable? Does that feel uncomfortable? Good. That's what I'm going for. I'm trying to make you a little bit uncomfortable here because we're going to get out of our comfort zones. We're going to get a little uncomfortable and we're going to work toward this because it's so important to keep more than you send out, right? We have to send stuff out from food. Believe me, I'm feeding a lot of kids right now. I have my five kids and two foreign exchange students. We spend a lot on food, just trying to keep their bellies full. But we are also highly focused on keeping 50% of the income we bring in. So wealthy people are more inclined to acquire assets. Okay, what's an asset? Assets are things like real estate, they are businesses, gold and silver. Assets are, just think of them as things that bring you more money, right? An asset will bring more money into your pocket. A liability, on the other hand, is gonna take money out of your pocket. So with this idea of keeping more than you make, 
there's a really big difference between having a profession and having a business. And this kind of goes into what I was talking about earlier in that you have your profession, but you also need to have a business. So most people really focus on the income column, right? So the, they're really looking at, okay, how much did I make this year? And how can I make more? How can I get a bigger raise? How can I get a bigger bonus? What can I do to, you know, ask my boss, I'm going to prep and go in and ask for that raise. And it, it takes a lot of courage and energy and a lots of focus that goes into asking for a raise. Now, do I want you to ask for a raise? Absolutely. Ask for a raise. But do I want you focusing all of your energy and time on trying to on begging a boss to give you more money? No, you need to focus more energy and time on keeping whatever the amount is that you're getting, keeping 50% of that and investing that money. Because once a dollar comes in and you acquire an asset, now that dollar becomes your employee and it never leaves. It's going to have to work 24 hours a day. You are a mean boss. You're going to make your money work 24 hours a day. So wealthy people will actually buy luxuries last. Okay, I know you have an image in your mind of wealthy people with their fancy cars and fancy houses and butlers and you know yachts, all the things. Do they buy those? Yes, they buy those, but they don't buy them first. Where as the reverse is true for people who are not wealthy, people who are not wealthy, who are not committed to, to building wealth, not committed to buying assets, they will go out and buy their luxuries first. Why? Because they feel like they deserve them. They want them. They want, the, they want this. But discipline is more important than what you want, right? Than temporary happiness. What we're looking for, we're playing the long game. This is the long game. And you must buy your luxuries last. Our family has not bought very many luxuries yet. We will someday, but we're not there yet. I am, we are still in the wealth building phase. I might only be two steps ahead of you right now. And that's why I'm excited to teach you what I'm learning so that you can kind of follow along in my footsteps. And so we can, and, and I can help you with the path here. And, but this is actually what we are doing. So you have to keep your expenses low. You need to reduce your liabilities. What's a liability? Something takes money out of your pocket, right? Things like debt, they consumer debt, things like all, all your expenses, whatever, right? Don't go out and buy the fancy clothes. I was talking to a multi multi-millionaire the other day and he's like, yeah, I still just wear shorts from Walmart. <laughs> you know? And it's and it's fine. That's what we do because there's no reason to buy designer clothing until you have achieved the wealth that you're looking for. So that's okay. That's point number three. Not how much you make is how much you keep. Focus on the keeping and you're going to be just fine. Okay, number four, what the wealthy think very differently about businesses. And they believe that it's super important to own your own business. Do you know why? Because it allows you to earn money, right? Then spend the money and then pay taxes. What happens when you work for a corporation? 
you earn your money, you pay your taxes, it's taken out immediately, right? You don't even get to keep to get to see that money in your bank account. It's literally taken out immediately. And then you spend whatever's left. So this is a key crucial concept for you. This is why I am so pro owning a business because you have much greater power with controlling your money if you're paying taxes after, if you're paying taxes only on what's left over after you spend. Now, of course, there are things that the government says you cannot, you have to pay taxes on first, right? But there are so many great strategies out there to be able to spend and then pay your taxes later. That's a subject for a different podcast episode, and we'll get into that, and we'll study taxes and, and, and how to have really great tax strategies. But I'm telling you, this is how the wealthy do it. They own corporations. They own businesses that allow them to flip when the taxes are paid. All right. And finally, number five is failure. So failure inspires winners. If you think about failing, last time you failed at something, did that inspire you? Did it inspire you to like go and try again and do it better next time? Or did it defeat you? And this is crucial mindset here, is that if you can look at failure as an inspiration, you're going to win. If you look at failure as it's defeating you, you will lose. And this is crucial to success and building wealth and living a life that you want to live. Think about riding a bike. When you learned to ride a bike, did you fail? Absolutely, you failed at first. Everybody has a scraped knee from riding a bike. Unless maybe your parents made you wear knee pads. I don't know. Mine did not. I was old fashioned. We just got on the bike and rode it and figured it out. And we failed. We fell down. We fell down many times. Coming back to the horse concept, when I was learning to ride horses, it was crucial that the first time you got bucked off a horse, you got right back up on that horse and went again. Crucial for two reasons. One, for yourself, right? To prove to yourself that you can do it. And two, to show that horse that the horse is not the boss of you. You are the boss of it. Same goes for money and wealth accumulation and and trying new things, right? So you try something and you fail. If you get bucked off and you don't get back on, now that thing that you tried won. You lost and it won. The only way for you to win is to get back up on that horse, try again, and keep going until you can get there. So review those five ways is number one, master the power of money. Don't be afraid of it. Number two, take bigger risks. Three, focus on how much you keep, not how much you make. Number four, you're going to own a corporation. And number five, you're going to be inspired by failing. Now I told you I would give you a secret. So I told you I would give you a secret. So the big secret for most great wealthy families is they focus on giving and they don't just give a little bit. They give a lot. 
I did a quick Google search and was just looking around at what, you know, what types of giving happens. And I was shocked about what I found. It's so I found that Warren Buffett, right? One of the greatest investors of all time. His net worth is 88.8 billion with a B. And he has given away 42.8 billion, also with a B, towards health and poverty alleviation. That's almost half of his net worth he has given away. Mackenzie Scott, she focuses on racial, gender, and economic disparity, and she has given $5.8 billion. Julia Koch focuses on medical research and arts and culture, and she has given $1.3 billion. That's a lot of money. And think about the good that wealthy people are doing with all of this money. That's goals for me. That's where I want to be. I want to have be in a position to give like no one else gives, right? And finally, I want to leave you with an analogy. So the wealthy play chess, not checkers. And let's talk about chess, right? In chess, you have to develop your own strategy, okay? So if you look at the opportunities, look at investing opportunities as your chess pieces. You have to keep buying assets. So if you make it a goal for yourself to purchase at least one asset per year, right? Markets can rise and fall, but the folks who survive the crashes, they're the ones who buy for cash flow, not equity, right? So once you have enough cash flow to really sustain you, then you can begin targeting equity properties, right? But make it a goal. So think about it as your chess pieces, right? So the smaller deals you can do by yourself are the pawns. So they're pretty safe to move. You don't get your game started, but they take a really long time to get across the board. So the best thing about a pawn actually is that the moment you move them, it opens up opportunities to bring out your, you know, your big guns in the back, you know, your bishop and your queen, right? But don't forget about your pawns because when you use them correctly and you get them all across the board, what happens? Well, it levels up into a better piece and you don't even have to pay taxes, right? Or anything on that. So keep in mind, the pawns are small deals you can do by yourself really great strategy, okay? Now, the more dynamic pieces are kind of like your larger multifamily in in real estate, okay? Matter of scale. And so think about it. With about the same amount of effort it takes to move a pawn, you move your bishop across the entire board. But using those pieces takes a, a, lot, a deeper level of strategy, okay? And making the wrong move can can assume a bit more risk, but once you have a solid understanding of what you're doing, you get lethal. Now, your relationships are like the queen. So through partnerships, networking, you know, you can move in any and every direction you want to go. So no matter what you want to do, the right relationships are going to get you there. Relationships with other investors, they can bring you ideas and really help you out with your strategy. Relationships with lenders, they get you, help you leverage the capital to like take your next big move. Brokers, I mean, they, they give you that agility to get across the board and move all over. And then finally, the king is your happiness. Never, never forget this. 
The only reason all the other chess pieces exist is to fight for and protect your happiness. Okay, just like in chess, it's easy to get caught up in winning all the individual battles and then sometimes you'll end up losing the war. But because the moment you forget about your king, you've lost the game. You've lost the game. If you're not vigilant about protecting that king, you're never going to move, right? So with every move you're making on this wealth journey, you need to be thinking, is this aiding my happiness? Play chess, not checkers. Thanks so much for joining. I appreciate you being here. Your mind is a beautiful tool and we're going to sharpen it. We're going to help it get to where we need it to be so that we can focus on the happiness in our life. Please share the episode with others and I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for joining us on the Quiet Wealth Podcast. If you want more, head on over to camillajeffs.com slash podcast to get the show notes and dive into other juicy episodes. While you're there, be sure to grab the free guide to building wealth. And if you know a friend who is struggling with money, please send this episode to them. Let's share the wealth in as many ways as we can. Until next time, wishing you much success.